0: Good morning. morning. It is good to see you here this morning. As always, we're thankful for your presence and thankful for this time together to worship our Heavenly Father. It's that time of year when many give up on their plans and their goals. Some didn't make it this far, some didn't start at all. But not you. You didn't even wait until the new year, you started last year. But now it's getting hard. We all know that change and goals, success is hard. And so we invented phrases to help ourselves like old habits die hard, Rome wasn't built in a day. No pain, no gain. But there's something else you should know and that is this, many of the people you follow listen to, watch, learn from, are connected to, they have a vested interest in your failing. How else can they keep you following, listening, tuning in, and tied to them? They don't actually want you to succeed because they are day traders in trouble. They are sellers of struggle and prophets of pessimism who profit from your problems. They spend every day telling you you can, but secretly wishing you never do. They have you hooked on the hope of change, strung out on the prospect of progress. And if you don't break free from these brokers of bondage, you will spend another year giving up and listening to them tell you it's okay. And another precious year of your one life will be gone. So what can you do? For starters, you can believe God. You can believe that you share the image of God, Genesis 1, 26, 27. In fact, we spent several weeks on the importance of having God's image. You can believe that God made you incredibly able to emulate him. You can believe that God has the answers to your questions, the solutions to your problems, and the help you need to succeed. You can believe God has empowered you and expects you to be like him. You can believe Christ's example. You can believe the Holy Spirit's revelation. I have five words for you. Don't you ever give up. Four words, you must not quit. Three words, yes, you can. Two words, keep going, and one word, victory. The epistles are filled with exhortations for God's children to be faithful. And with success coming only after commitment. Passages like 1 Corinthians 15:58, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Or maybe Revelation 2 and verse number 10, fear none of those things which shall come upon you. Behold, Satan shall cast some of you into prison, and you shall be tried ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Or maybe 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. What'll happen when you do? Then you'll lay hold on eternal life. And people are fond of saying the struggle is real. Well, it's true. But we should also say in Christ the struggle can really be overcome. Since God is all-powerful, He is more powerful than your struggle. God's people have always overcome struggle. God helps His people in struggle, and then He moves them through their struggle. They didn't spend their lives in struggle. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Sarah, Esther, David, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Naomi, Hannah, and many more, they all had moments of struggle in life but they didn't spend their lives in struggle. Our culture has convinced us that struggle is the normative space of life, and it's not. God's people go into struggle, and then they come out and live. And if struggle should arise again, they go in and then they go through and they come out and they live. David sums it up well when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You'll notice the progression that David says. He first of all says, I walk. Secondly, he says, I walk through. Thirdly, he says, I walk through the valley. Sometimes people think going into the valley, well, that's the evil. That's not at all the evil, and it's certainly not the only evil. Evil is happening to David while he's in the valley. David doesn't fear the evil while he's in the valley. I will fear no evil while walking through the valley. Evil is still occurring. The reason David can say this is David knew God was with him in the valley. It's interesting, he doesn't say, I don't experience evil. I'm not confronted with evil. What he says is, I don't fear evil because you are with me as I walk, as I walk through, as I walk through the valley. And even as evil happens to me, I am still walking through and not fearing. You hear people say sometimes, I'm in a dark place. David is in the valley, but it's not dark, because the God who walks with him through the valley is light. This is why the valley has a shadow. God lights his path and directs his steps through and out of the valley. Chances are really good that what you are afraid of is merely a shadow, and unfortunately, you've gifted it more power than God. The lives of the faithful demonstrate overcoming. Jacob went through the valley with Esau and Laban. Joseph went through the valley with his brothers, Miss Potiphar, the butler, and baker. David went through the valley with King Saul. The faithful saints have gone through the valley, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. The Bible says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to do what? Tell you about all the people who've gone through the valley. I don't have enough space to tell you about all the overcomers. Time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put armies to flight. We are not designed and destined to live in constant struggle, to fear, to fail, to quit, to sorrow, to start, stop, give up, give in, to live timidly, trifling, floundering, unfulfilled lives and then every year wash, rinse, and repeat. In Christ, we're designed and destined to overcome, triumph, to grow, transform, become and be like Jesus. To live the abundant, righteous, whole, healthy, complete spiritual life. To live victoriously in Christ. In fact, Scripture would say, in Christ we are more than conquerors. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Christ also said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Overcoming and victory applies to our souls. Physical goals are achieved through spiritual commitment. In the Scripture, the saints were facing spiritual issues, struggles, persecution, false teaching, threatening their faith. Peter, Jude, Paul, John all wrote about it. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude, and let's study a few passages out of it and see what Jude says. In verse number 3, Jude writes that they should earnestly contend for the faith. He then talks about false teachers and how they had crept in unawares and are threatening the faith of God's people. He then says at the end of the book that the saints need to help their brothers and sisters. Our subject this morning is what he says in verses 17 to 21. What is the key? How can you do it? How can I stay committed? How can I be faithful? That's what it is, and that's what it takes. Likely and hopefully you did set some goals. Maybe the goal was to read my Bible every day or read it through or go closer to God, gain control of my tongue, do good to others, be patient, loving, kind, get healthy in every way, whatever it is. You set a goal. Chances are real good you know and you set it because it's good for you. You knew that by doing that, you'd be better as a result of it. You also knew it would be difficult. And now you're probably facing some of those difficulties, some of that crisis. What do you need to do to succeed? You need to stay committed. Now I should tell you again, your gurus of give up, your circle of sadness, your friendship of failure, your cheerleaders of challenge are all ready for you to quit. They're ready for you to pack it in. They're ready for you to stop, fold up your tent, and just quit. And that's so that they can do their job of continually coddling and comforting you in quitting again in hopes that they can string you along another year with empty promises and sad, sordid, sorry stories of why it's okay to quit and then offer you more poor, pitiful promises and products for how to succeed. All done with a smile and a small request for you to like, share, and subscribe. And turn on notifications so you can stay up to date when i drop new videos oh yeah and if you don't mind please share your comments to help the community not this time not this time hopefully you reach for something big this year hopefully you said i can do amazing things with the help of the amazing i am Hopefully, you engaged your whole mind, body, and you gave your heart to trying. And now that you're challenged, hopefully, you will stop listening to these liars of lethargy and instead listen to God in Scripture. The Holy Spirit has revealed God's mind to Jude, and he writes within this book, The Keys to Success— Here's how you can accomplish your goal. Here's how you can do the things necessary to overcome. Here's how you can stay faithful and stay committed. Jude told the brethren five things they could do. They began for us this this morning in verse number 17. We'll focus on five things from here to verse 21. Here they are. Jude says number one, verses 17 and 18. Beloved, believed, beloved, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. What's point number one? What can I do? Remember. Remember the words spoken by the apostles contextually, when you're reading this book and the context of the first century, is that the saints are suffering. They're being told by the writers about these false teachers. They were told about them, and they're experiencing what they were told. In fact, Jude is near the end of our New Testament. But Jesus talked about false teachers back in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. He warned, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Paul said it in Acts chapter 20 in verse 28. He says, I know that after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The Holy Spirit said it, 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. James said it, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Here is the point. We shouldn't be surprised when the thing happens that we knew would happen. That's Jude's point. Brethren, Remember? Don't you remember that the apostles said this would happen? Peter said it. There were false prophets also among the people, even that there should be false teachers among you, who privily or secretly will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. They said it was going to happen, and now it's happening. And Jude says, brethren, remember. How does that apply to us and maybe your plans? Well, we would urge you to Remember. You should remember the words of the Lord. What has the Lord done? The Bible teaches that the Lord has put the seed of everything. That's where it is. It's in the seed. And that the seed produces after its own kind. And of a seed then, it takes time to grow. We should remember that. And so what should you do? Cultivate the soil that is your heart. Plant the seed, that is the word of God, Luke 8:11. Water it and then let the sun shine on it. Allow time for growth. That's what the Bible teaches, and then you bear fruit. Galatians 6: seven and eight, Luke 8:11. 8, remember the words of the Lord. If you were to remember that, then we should stop trying to do anything quickly. We should stop trying to get rich quick. It doesn't just apply to money, though. It applies to everything. Some people want to get healthy quickly. Some people want to learn the Bible quickly. People constantly give the sage who seduces them money so they can tell them how to get rich quickly. But only one person gets rich in this scheme because God didn't design for success to be quick because growth takes time. But maybe we don't remember, and so we want success quick. In steps, in steps, these soothsayers of sorrows with their so-called solutions, and they tell us, you want to get married quickly? We'll give you married at first sight. We'll give you 90-day fiancé. We'll give you love as blind. And after you're married, we'll send you on a honeymoon so you can meet and learn your spouse. <laughs> of course, the other side of this is, if you want to get out quickly, we'll help you with that too. People want quick results with their children. People want a better marriage quickly. I want everything, and I want it right now. And then when we don't get it quickly, we quit. It's the fourth week of the year. Your plans for the year can't be accomplished in week four. Remember, God put the seed of everything in itself, and it produces after its own kind. Now, you can make up your mind quickly. You can even make plans quickly but you will not get from where you are to where you want to be quickly. And anyone in any area of life telling you otherwise will also tell you they have the secret for how to do it. And for a small fee, preferably on auto pay, they will give you that secret. The reality is, as long as we desire to accomplish quickly that which God designed to take time, there will always be people ready to exploit and take advantage of us for wanting to skip steps and get quick results. Scripture says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. So don't get weary of doing good for the Lord— And don't get weary of doing good for yourself. Instead, remember the words of the Lord. Point number two. It's there in verse number 19. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. What's the point? Be honest. Call things what they are. Let's start with the context again first. In the context, he's talking about false teachers. How do you know? Go back up to verse number 11 and read down with me. In verse number 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Well, who is the them? Well, you'd have to go back just a few verses there. But he's already talked about angels. He's talked about those in Sodom and Gomorrah. He talked about those uh, who—verse number 7 and 8, dreamers and so forth. And he's talking about these false teachers— and he says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and they have rushed in headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you and without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And it was about these men that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all of the ungodliness of their all ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of their harsh things, which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But beloved, you ought to remember the words of the Lord. These are the ones who cause divisions. What's he saying? Call things what they are. False teachers are deceivers, not misunderstood. False teachers are liars, not eccentric. False teachers are gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the gainsaying of Korah. Jesus said it, and he warned Paul, Peter, John, Jude. They identified false teachers, and sometimes they called them by name. The apostles and prophets wanted the saints to clearly identify those who were for them and wanted their well-being by teaching them the truth and those who sought to take advantage of them by teaching them error paul in fact used the language of they have made shipwreck the faith of some peter would say they seek to gain advantage of you making merchandise of you what's the application when it comes to our lives we need the same level of honesty With ourselves don't deceive yourself the worst deception is self-deception water is wet the sky is blue grass is green sin is sin right is right wrong is wrong remember it takes time and therefore hold yourself accountable and be responsible be honest and be honest with yourself how can I do that number one check your plans are they realistic Did you set yourself up for failure by making some unrealistic plans? Number two, check your performance. Are you doing what you said you would do? An amazing thing happens. Some people quit something they hadn't even started. They had it in their mind, but they never started it. And then they quit it. It's no longer in their mind. Wait a minute. You didn't even start. I quit. You quit what? (laughs) Oh, you're going to even quit thinking about change. Check your progress. You can't finish what you don't start. It's January 21st. Are you going? Check your progress. Check your persistence. Are you constant? I mean, are you at it? Or are you just hit and miss? Check your progress. Have you made progress? Have you started or are you still just talking about it while crediting yourself with doing it? Call it what it is, physically and spiritually. No goals have ever been accomplished because someone just wanted it really badly. Success comes in cans, not can'ts, and goals are met by doing, not desire. Being honest and accountable will help you stay committed. Point number three, verse number 20. But beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. This is not just good self-talk, building yourself up. Although in another context and in other passages, that would be exactly the thing to do. By all means, say good things to you. But this is not that. The saints were responsible for their own faith, and the apostles and prophets wanted them to know that. The apostles and prophets were never responsible for the faith of other people, What they were responsible for the ministry that God called them. And so they were to preach the Word and be instant in season and out of season. They were to write it by inspiration. They were to live it, and they were to serve. Well, that's absolutely true, but they were never responsible for somebody else's faith Faith is powerful, faith is personal, and faith protects. What it does is it protects you from these false teachers. Jude has just discussed false teachers from verse 4 down to verse 16. What would it be and what would it take then to endure their influence, to resist their error? What would do that? Faith. It would protect them from false teachers. And what does Jude say? Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Two things stand out about that phrase. Number one, the power to build up is in you. Number two, the possession to be built is yours. Build yourself up to build up in spiritual advancement. Go back to verse number one or point number one. It takes time. We are God's building. We are God's temple. We are like babes needing to grow. What does it take? Time. As we grow, be honest. What is he saying? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Back in verse 3, when he opened this book, he said, Beloved, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. That's what I wanted to write about. But it was needful for me to write to you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. What's he saying here then? He's talking about two different things. One of those is the faith brought by Jesus Christ, the system of faith that Christ brought into the world. The other is your faith in that system, in that faith. In fact, we might ask, how is your faith in the faith? You'll notice that it's described as most holy It's interesting that the words on either side of most holy is your and faith. It is most holy because it comes from God. It is yours because you obeyed it. It is most holy and it is yours. What is he saying? Own your faith. Build your faith. Is Christ Jesus the divine Son of God or isn't he? Is that where your faith is? Did Jesus die for the sins of the world? Is that where your faith is? Did Christ rise from the dead? Does he reign and rule over the kingdom and thus the whole world? Does he have all authority in heaven and in earth, and he doesn't have it over your life? Is he King of kings and Lord of lords? Is he the Alpha and the Omega, the Savior of the world, the judge of all the earth? Where is your faith in the faith? Is the gospel his power to save? Or can somebody get to the Father in another way? You can't live for Christ without Christ living in you. For the Christian, life is about Christ. We live for Him. It's for Christ. It's through Christ. It's after Christ. It's because of Christ. As Paul said, Christ is our life. Jesus may have said it best when He said, I am the vine; You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Question, are you building up yourself in your most holy faith? Folks, follow everyone but Jesus. Makes you wonder if Jesus had a Facebook page, would you friend him? If Jesus had an Instagram, TikTok, and X page, would you follow him? If Jesus had a YouTube channel, would you subscribe and turn on notifications? If Jesus had a Pinterest page, would you pin him? Folks, follow everyone but Jesus, and then want the results that can only come from following Jesus. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Let me ask you, do you have faith? Faith is trust in God. Do you trust him? If you trust God, then the Bible would teach you believe God, and then as a result of that, you would rely on God, and then you would do what God says. That's the disposition and nature of faith in Scripture. Faith means doing what God says regardless. Regardless of what? Regardless of appearance. A thing could look one way, but if God said it's the other, I believe God. I looked at it, I see it, it appears to be one way, but God said otherwise. I'm not going to be moved by appearance. It means I believe God over thoughts, my thoughts and the thoughts of others, over feelings, over hunches, over guesses, over dreams, visions, experiences, voices, angels, spirits, God over everything. That's what that means. You know, I hear some people say, I trust my gut. Wouldn't you rather trust God? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, not your gut. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, not your guesses. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, not hunches, not feelings, not visions. Faith. Where do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And James says when one has faith, he does what God says, James 2, 14 to 26. And God says without faith it's impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six. The question we must all ask ourselves is this, do I have faith? Do I have faith in Christ? Do we believe He is the Word made flesh, God with us, Savior of the world, giver, sustainer of life? Do we trust Him? Every parent has this experience at some point in their lives, and it hits us all the same. At some point, your children look at you, and they give you that look, and you know immediately what that look is. It goes something like this. Parent says, baby, do this. Son, do this. Here's what you need to do. Sweetie, daughter, here's what you need to do. Do this. Don't do that. No, this right here. They listen, they listen, they look, and then they go, "Eh." What's happening here? Well, sometimes people say, Well, they don't understand. No, they understood. They understood exactly what you said, they understood your explanation. They were there for it all. They heard it. You were plain. You were clear. You were concise. You were not misunderstood. Well, what then happened? They didn't agree. Maybe for the first time in their lives, I don't know, but maybe for the first time, as an adult now, a young adult, they've been thinking on their own, they've had some experiences, and now they've come to their own conclusions. And then they hear you talk, and now when you talk, they say, hmm, I don't see it that way. You know God's children do the same thing to Him. A little wild in life, a little growth, a little experience, God says something, and then God's children says, "Hmm. what are you saying? It's not that you've misunderstood, because God is very plain. God is very clear. You understood your father. You just didn't agree. Do you trust God? You trust what he says is true? Here's what happens when you trust what God says is true. You do what God says. And guess why you do it? You know it'll work. It's not close to working. It's not almost going to work. It's going to work. Why? Because God said it. Well, who's God? The one I trust knows everything, and therefore this can't fail. The one I know is everywhere, therefore he has already seen it. He's the beginning and the end. Therefore he knows, and therefore when he speaks, and if he said it, and I believe him, I would do it. And guess how it's going to turn out? It's going to turn out exactly the way he said it will. Always does. Have your Bibles. Look at Luke chapter 5 real quickly with me and listen to—see an example of it. In Luke chapter 5, we're going to get into a boat. I hope you like fishing, because that's what's happening. There is an experienced fisherman here, and I mean experienced. It's what he does. Day and night, he fishes. And on this occasion when we meet him, he's been fishing. He's having a conversation with someone who is not a fisherman. In fact, he's the son of a carpenter, and they're having a conversation about fishing. And in Luke chapter 5, in verse number 4, the Bible says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. Do you think Jesus knew that? You think he was telling Jesus something Jesus didn't know? No. Well, why are you saying that? Because we are experienced fishermen. And we've been fishing all night. And you know what? We've caught nothing. And now you say, go out into the deep and let down your net. You know what Peter says? We have taken nothing. And then Peter says, nevertheless, at thy word. At thy word. Because you said so, I'll let down the net. We have failed all night. We know what we're doing. But if you said it, it matters who says it. If you said it, we will go and do as you have said. They do. And when they go out, if you read just a few more verses, you will see they cast out that net and caught so many fish that both boats were full and began to sink. That's the nature of faith. I might ask what about us if christ said a kind word turns away wrath why do we keep saying things that are unkind if christ said don't return evil for evil why do we keep returning evil for evil if christ said husbands love your wives honor them cherish them dwell with them according to knowledge well why would i keep being unloving dishonoring and not cherishing and living with a lack of knowledge if christ said wives submit obey revere your husband then why would i refuse to submit why would i disobey and why would i not reverence? read the proverbs listen to god talk listen to him talk is it true At his word listen to him talk about diligence in that book listen to him tell people go to the ant Listen to him talk about work and how hard and how challenging. but it will work out. Listen to God. Read Ecclesiastes. Listen to him talk all about life. Consider what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see good days, sign me up. I'm in there's a way to enjoy life and see good days you mean there's a way not to struggle every single day of my life and existence i can actually enjoy life and see good days yes sir yes ma'am sign me up what do i need to do avoid saying anything hurtful never let a lie come out of your mouth stop doing what's wrong and do what's good look for peace and do all you can to help people live peacefully. I won't, I won't, I won't, but I sure want to love life and see good days. No. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Will your faith in Christ be stronger in 2024 than it was in 2023? How can I stay committed? I can remember the words of the Lord prophets, the apostles. I can be honest with myself. And number three, I can grow my faith. What's number four? It's here in verse number 20. Right after he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. In distress, the apostle Paul told the brethren that the Spirit helps and intercedes on behalf of those who are in Christ, Romans 8. The Holy Spirit, however, has never forced anyone to do His will. Their continuance in the Spirit was their choice— The Spirit, after all, is subject to the prophets. And so, some people resisted the Spirit. They grieved the Spirit. They lied to the Spirit. On the other hand, they could walk in the Spirit. They could bear the fruit of the Spirit. Those troubling them were without the Spirit. Verse number 19, only fleshly, natural. Jude here says, praying in the Spirit. They maintained their faithfulness through prayer. While we do not have the miracles the Spirit afforded them, we certainly must continue in prayer, in harmony with the Spirit, the revelation He gave. When considering your faith, we might also consider our prayers. You'll notice they're connected. In the same verse, build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying. The Bible tells us that we should study. We should give diligence to know. Well, once this, one of the subjects in Scripture is prayer to learn what the Holy Spirit revealed about prayer, to pray in faith, to pray without ceasing, to pray and don't lose heart. In everything, give thanks. Pray without ceasing. Are you praying? The way people treat prayer, you can clearly see why it won't work. You know, when they pray, they say something like this. They wake up in the morning and say, thank you, God, for letting me rise and see a new day. Okay. Get in the traffic. Behave more like the child of the devil than the child of God, but then they get to work. Time to eat, and so they thank God for the food. Go through their day, come back home, eat again, thank God for the food. They lay down and go to sleep, thank God for the day. Ask them have they prayed, and do they have a prayer in life, and they will tell you yes. When else do you pray? When trouble comes. So typically, you pray in the morning, you pray at night, and give God for thanks, waking up and putting you to sleep, and you thank God for meals, and then when trouble comes, you pray. What do you pray for when trouble comes? Get me out of it. When would you like him to get you out of it? Right now. (laughs) So this is your prayer life. Is that what the Bible teaches about prayer? Is that what it teaches? You hear people say sometimes, well, I ask God, I ask God, I asked God, and He didn't give me. He didn't give me. Well, what didn't He do for you? He didn't heal the person I love. He didn't give me the job I wanted. He didn't do this for my children. He didn't, He didn't, He didn't. Their whole life with God is He didn't. And so, they say things like, I used to believe in prayer. I would urge you never believed in prayer. You aren't even close to understanding prayer. Whatever you believed in, it was a fabrication of your own mind, a concoction you invented because you didn't get it from Scripture. The Scripture would have never taught you that that's what prayer is, and so you didn't get it from God. Here, Jude says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Never even studied the subject. Never asked, as those apostles asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Are you praying? And if so, how and for what? What? God will not fulfill promises and keep promises he didn't make, and neither will you. Praying and meditating upon your faith and goals and family, is that what you're doing? You know it's hard to be uncommitted when you are committed to the word and prayer. It will help you stay committed. Number five, be on guard. That's what he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The word keep is the word guard. Earlier he said, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Now he says, keep yourselves, watch, guard, keep yourselves in the love of God. Again, the same two things are seen, the power and the possession, they're both yours. Keep yourselves because you can in the love of God because you must. They had God's love, and so do you. Their faith was in Christ, prayers, and the Holy Spirit. They were God's children. They had His love. What's he saying? Keep loving God. Keep living in harmony with God. Keep following after God. They aren't doing a specific thing to get God to love them. That's not what he's saying. He already does. They don't even risk God not loving them. What they risk is their love for Him. They risk their walk with God, their communion with God. If they give in to the false teachers and join them, they walk away from God. Our relationship with God is not a one-way street. Keep yourself in the love of God by continually walking faithfully, by continuing to love God. Not simply God loving you, but you loving Him. Do you love Him? How do I keep myself in the love of God? We might say, remember the words of the Lord. Be honest. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying always in the Holy Spirit, and then guard your love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Simon, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Keep falling in love with him. That's a song we used to sing when I was growing up. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. How do you know if you love somebody? You talk about them. You ever seen and been to a new wedding of a fresh marriage? Fresh like flowers. Have you ever seen one? One of these new marriages? What do these two people do? Ooh, they talk about each other. Get them apart for five minutes and who will they talk about? Oh, I just love him. I see you smiling a lot. Oh, yeah, I just love him. Uh, I see you. You know, when she came in, you Oh man, she's the most beautiful person in the whole wide world. That's what you do when you love people. You talk about them. You talk with them. I just love to hear him talk. He is so smart. He knows so much. He's 20, baby. He's 20. He doesn't know. He's so smart, Dad. He's so smart. He talked to others about him. You listen to him talk. You walk with him. You follow him. You learn of him. You reject anybody who would say something bad about him. You would never follow their counsel or believe them. You wouldn't treat them as common. That's what happens when you love somebody. Let me ask you, is that the way you love God? Don't you find it peculiar that people say, I just can't talk about God? You just love him so much you can't talk about it. Bible says, keep yourself in the love of God. It also says of the Ephesians, they left their first love. How do you do that? Commitment, responsibility, accountability. Everybody young and old, men and women, every member, every family member in every area of life, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself committed to the faith once for all delivered. Sometimes you sadly hear people leaving the church, leaving the Lord. Keep yourself committed to the faith once delivered. Keep yourself responsible for your most holy faith. Keep yourself accountable in prayer and to the love of God. Keep yourself then practically committed to your goals. No one else can. Keep yourself focused on doing good to and for yourself. Keep yourself committed to your marriage, your children, your congregation, your health, your finances. Keep yourself committed to your soul's maturation. Keep yourself committed to your soul's transformation. Keep yourself committed to things above what Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. The world is real fond of telling us we're a bunch of quitters and then telling us it's okay to quit and then blaming everybody else for why we quit. Scripture won't allow it. Every member of the Godhead is rooting for us. Every member of the Godhead is involved with us. There's faith in Christ. There's prayer in the Holy Spirit. There's love of God. Keep yourself. You know, it's that time. The gurus of gain are constantly telling you you can't. Truth is, they never expected you to anyway. They say things like this, don't you know? You're supposed to be unhealthy. It's too hard to be healthy. You're supposed to be in debt. Who you think you are, Warren Buffett? You're supposed to have a bad marriage. Nobody has a good one. You're supposed to be angry at your children, and they're supposed to hate you. Husbands can't get along with wives, and wives can't get along with husbands. Everybody knows that. Children can't obey and honor their fathers and their mothers. Christians can't be faithful. It's all too hard, and we're all confined to misery. You just say it and accept it. The world already believes it. They keep teaching it. Your religion is not supposed to make any real difference in your life. You aren't supposed to be any different than anyone else who uses the name of Christian. Your life in the end is supposed to look the same whether you have Jesus or not. As you know, the struggle is real. Here's what you know. That's not true. No, what you know is Christ is the difference. In life yeah struggle can be real but in Christ it's overcome as I submit to you now at last one time join the challenge take it up and stay committed to God this time stay committed to your faith live the life that Jesus came to give the abundant life now and with him eternally after a wall Let's love God. Live the life Jesus called us to live. How do you do it? Remember the words of the apostles? If they said something was going to happen and then it happened, let's not be surprised. Be honest. Call things what they are. Hey, I didn't try today. I'm going to try tomorrow. I didn't give my best today. I'm not going to make up an excuse as to why. I just didn't do it. I'm accountable. I'm responsible. But I'll show up tomorrow, and I'll do it. And I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again until I get to where I want to be. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying always in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Can it be done? God's people have always and only overcome. The promises of God are yes. The power of God is limitless and the people of God are victorious. I beg you, brothers and sisters, stay committed to God and don't let the world turn you around and cause you to quit. Not this time. Not this year. Not this one. This time, I'm going to stay with God and I'm going to be what he said I can be and I'm going to live what he said I can live. It might be the case that you're not a Christian this morning. if it is, and friends, you need Jesus. I suppose I could take another 14 hours to tell you why the world is wrong about Jesus. I just won't. I started to say one, but that didn't seem like near enough. No, friends, the world has taken this position that Jesus can just, his name can be used and then you can go live any way you want to. And that's not true. Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. You have to obey Jesus. And if you're not obeying Jesus, then friends, you can't have Jesus. You can't have him in name only. How do you get into Christ? The Bible says the gospel is where God placed his power to save, Romans 1:16 and 17. The Bible says the gospel is the good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And that gospel must be heard, Romans 10, 17, and that's how faith is produced. And that belief then must move you to repent, Luke 13 and 3, and to confess the name of Jesus, John chapter 9 and Romans 10, 9 and 10. And when you've done that, you are now ready to be buried with him in baptism. And the Bible teaches you must do that in order to be saved. I know there are people who will tell you all you have to do is believe and then you will be saved. The Bible does not teach that. As plainly as I can say it, it does not teach that. What the Bible teaches is you have to believe, repent, confess, and be immersed in water with him, bared with him in baptism, and arise and walk in newness of life. And it places salvation on this side of baptism, not on this side of belief. It doesn't do that. If you've never done and obeyed the gospel, we beg you to do so. But if you are his child, friends, brethren, we are not intended to live miserable, sorrowful lives and merely eke by in our existence. In Christ, We are more than conquerors, and because he has, we can. If we can help you this morning in any way, we invite, we encourage, the elders are available. Whatever we can do, we beg you, avail yourself of Christ this morning as we stand and as we sing.